0: Hello, and welcome to APQC's podcast. My name is Lauren Trees, and I am a Principal Research Lead here at APQC. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to APQC podcasts on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today, I'm very pleased to be joined by Dan Kramer, who's one of the great speakers we have queued up to keynote our 2021 Process and Knowledge Management Conference in October. Thank you so much for joining us, Dan.
1: Oh, it's a pleasure, Lauren. It's great to be here.
0: Dan is the co-founder and co-CEO of IA Collaborative, which is a global design and innovation consultancy. And Dan, I know you've worked with an incredibly impressive list of clients from Nike to Airbnb, FedEx, Audi, Johnson and Johnson, Samsung, It's it's a very impressive list. And Dan's an expert in design thinking for branding and product development, but also how organizations can apply some of those design thinking concepts to create a culture of innovation, which I think is something that that pretty much everyone's talking about right now. And the theme for this year's conference is Navigate the Now. And our aim is really to focus on problems and solutions that speak to the current moment. So I wanted to start by asking you, Dan, why we're seeing an increased interest in design thinking and what makes it particularly relevant to the current moment.
1: Well, that's a great question, Lauren. And to answer it, let me start with talking about what is so valuable about design thinking. You know, design thinking is really just the intuitive process that designers take when creating anything. And first and above all, we're human-centered. You know, so when making something, whether it's a digital experience, a physical product, a building, a new business, we're making something for people so we think about what they want you know we're human centered and second we're always tasked with doing something new creating something new that hasn't existed before so we need to make a prototype first to to understand it ourselves and also then to share it with others so we can learn really fast what works and then keep changing it until it's great and that's being iterative and finally, you know, we can't help but think about the whole picture. So, if we're designing a new digital product, for instance, we think about how the user will first encounter it, where they'll be when they're engaging with it, whether it's at home, office, school, uh, what other people they will be interacting with when using the product. And we think about other aspects of their lives that might impact their experience. So, we think systemically. So, These ways that designers naturally do their work, being human-centered, being iterative, thinking systemically, as it turns out, are broadly applicable. They are, you know, in a lot of ways, the secret ingredients to inspiring new ideas and making wonderful products, experiences, and businesses, and the desire, you know, the, the demand for wonderful products, experiences, and businesses has never been greater. And you know. So, so why is that? Well, I believe there's a somewhat universal expectation these days that every experience that we engage in should be excellent. And I think it's driven by it because we are on a daily basis, you know, engaging with great experiences like using our iPhone, booking an Airbnb, having pretty much anything in the world show up on our doorstep with one click. And we're judging any interaction that we're having whether it's starting a new job opening a bank account buying a house repairing our car we're judging all of these based on that baseline so our expectations for any experience have never been higher and then you contrast that with having the responsibility as a business leader to deliver that great experience for say your customers well that task has never been more complex. You think about all the things we need to think about, understanding what technology to leverage and how. You know, should we be using augmented reality, virtual reality, AI-led design, connected IoT devices, any form of digital transformation? You know, if you're uh, a pharmaceutical company, you know, you're thinking, well, do I need to get into personalized medicine and make that an expertise? And then Think about all the data that's created by this fast tech. You know, We have to collect and distill it into usable insights. And then design fantastic and differentiated experiences with that data and tools. And then blueprint, what the future organization and operations might be required of us to deliver on it. And then finally, if you have that plan and that figured out, you have to activate and align your organization to make the smart choices, the trade-offs, to launch valuable products and services and businesses. Not an easy set of tasks, but a set of tasks that definitely benefits from the mindsets and the skill sets of designers, you know, being human-centered, thinking systemically, prototyping, and iterating these new to the world solutions to learn fast and ship wonderful products. So I think that's at least some of the reasons that we're seeing such an increased interest in design thinking right now.
0: I love what you're saying about experience, Dan, and I feel like organizations in general are getting more intentional about experiences, not just that they provide to customers, but also to employees. So I was curious, what do you see as some of the most powerful applications of design thinking inside organizations right now?
1: Well, yeah, experience. For sure, is a big part of it, and I think anything you interact with it as humans, B to B, B to C, you know, government, society involves experiences, um, and I, I do think that's one part of it. Uh, but you know, design thinking in general is just a wonderful complement to the way organizations typically structure and plan their decisions. Uh, think of it as left brain plus right brain thinking. So at IA Collaborative, we leverage this combination of strategy and creativity to help a lot of those wonderful clients you just mentioned. Uh, And we help them in really three main areas where we see a powerful application of design and design thinking. Finding new growth opportunities, creating new offerings, and really empowering cultures of innovation. And I I can spend a few minutes diving into and sharing some real world examples of each of those three. So when you think about finding new growth, design-based research is fundamental to this, you know, and it's design-based research is observational. We look at what people are doing, not just what they're saying, to find things like workarounds, ways users are solving their own problems, often problems they didn't even know they had. Uh, For for example, uh, Gatorade, uh, the brand that invented the sports drink category, Uh, you know, they had 85% market share, they were looking for new ways to grow, right? And in exploratory user research, the team saw Mexican soccer teams throwing baggies filled with Gatorade out to players in the field to stay hydrated during these really hot games. And just seeing this activity, this workaround demonstrated a couple things to the team. One an unmet need to drink during activity, which may seem obvious, but the current data showed that athletes within, you know, the category of sports drinks were mostly prehydrating before a game and then rehydrating after, but not really drinking during. So there's a growth opportunity. And it also sparked the idea of, well, what if Gatorade's not just delivered in a bottle? What if it's more of a soft-sided form factor like these baggies that, you know, Mexican soccer players were creating for themselves. So, the result the launch of Gatorade's G series, you know, before, during, and after sport formulas and form factors, which represented an expansion of Gatorade's market share by 15%, which is pretty massive in what was at the time a super mature already and seemingly ungrowable category. So, just finding these new growth opportunities. Um, incredibly valuable and powerful application of design thinking. Um, the second one that I mentioned, which is creating these new offerings—you know, you've identified the opportunity, but now you have to create it—and that's a complex task, which I kind of alluded to in, in answering your first question. So, creating new offerings—and you know—I'll give you another example. So, Airbnb—they made it their mission to build the world's most loyal travel community through exceptional service which is again no no small task when you think about 400 million bookings a year uh, globally so to accomplish this mission the team informed by human centered research began prioritizing and designing the ideal versions of their most important journeys right so from booking an airbnb to checking in to even considering things like Integration with third parties such as airline partners. Like, what if your flight is delayed? That means you're not going to be able to check in when you originally thought. You might be a day late. So, how do you think ahead of all those important journeys and plan for them? And then, after designing these, the team co created with actual users, guests, and hosts and blueprinted the staff changes, operations, policy, technology that's required to realize that vision. And then ran collaborative human-centered workshops with the service professionals that are actually tasked with delivering that great level of service. And they did this to create alignment and flawless execution. Again, leveraging those tenets and those activities and mindsets of design thinking to create, you know, complex new offerings like that. And then the final of the three that I mentioned empowering cultures of innovation. So, An example of uses FedEx. So when they originally committed to digital transformation years ago, leadership also committed at the same time to innovating on their most important customer experiences and even their core business processes. So design thinking became a core component of their strategy. So through a combination of large-scale team training, real-world pilot projects, teams learned to conduct human-centered research, derive insights, ideate, prototype, pilot, create new software, apps, pick up and delivery experiences that delivered not only on their mission of digital transformation and great customer experiences, but also on building an empowering and empowering an enduring culture of innovation. So those are a few examples of the power of design, you know, to find new growth, create new offerings, and empowered cultures of innovation.
0: Dan, as you're sharing all of these success stories, I can't help but think about the fact that there's probably a lot of ways to mess this up. So, so I'm curious what you see as the biggest stumbling blocks for organizations as, as they try to move towards design thinking and, and how some of those can be overcome and dealt with.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Uh... There are a few stumbling blocks that it would be great to avoid. Uh, we have the benefit of hindsight, um, which we do. I've been doing this a long time. Uh, I'd say the biggest mistake organizations make when adopting design thinking is running design thinking workshops. And I say that a little provocatively. I mean, honestly, workshops are a great tool, but they're just one tool that alone is not that effective it's only effective in combination with working on actual real world projects so design thinking is a mindset shift and it's also a skill set that needs to be built through practice and the best way to adopt a new way of thinking and acting is through experiential learning so at i collaborative we employ a dual track approach when helping companies build cultures of innovation So, large-scale training efforts, which involve process development, common language, a definition of what design thinking means to that specific organization, how it will help achieve their mission and vision, but also a series of pilot projects where client teams can collaborate with our teams to conduct research, form insights, design experiences, business models, prototype pilot, and scale new businesses. And the combination of these two is powerful, especially when we do this with cross-functional pilot teams who can then bring their experiences back to the business and have it embedded in their organization. So a few other things, things to avoid or overcome when adopting design thinking, focusing only on near-term incremental improvement. So the solution to that is taking a ventures mindset or portfolio mindset to innovation, balancing your innovation portfolio across three horizons. You know, core innovation, which is exactly what it sounds like, innovating on your core products and services. Adjacent, so think new products for your current users or adapting and gaining new users for your current products. And then finally, transformational innovation, the new new. Think Google and creating autonomous vehicles, which is now they spun up into a new company, Waymo. So the typical balance among organizations is maybe 70%-ish focused on your core, 20% on adjacent, and maybe 10% or more on transformational activities, which is easy to ignore. But depending on your company's risk profile, you should be at minimum having that type of spread of your focus, if not even more weighted on transformational. We talk a lot about designing your next disruptor, you know, change is continually occurring. And if you're not anticipating that future transformational opportunity, um, you have a a high likelihood of being blindsided. Um, The second thing to avoid is making assumptions. I mean, you do research, you think you have the answer, oh, we don't need to go and do research anymore. But the truth is, and we like to say this at IA, the forefront is always moving. Consumers' expectations, their needs, their desires are continually changing. So you have to be continually exploring and understanding what that behavior is. So the solution is just to continually seek user insight and observe user behavior. And I'll give you an example. Nike recently reorged to create a centralized insights group. And they are focused on consistently researching users' ever-changing needs, across each of their categories. And they do this along multiple horizons from next season to three to five years out. And then they continually bring these insights back to the businesses through presentations and collaborative workshops. So this insights group isn't bringing the answers to the businesses, but rather they are bringing insights. They're provoking thought and You know, basically spurring more questions, which is the key to innovation. The last thing to avoid or overcome that I'll share is failing to set bold goals. So, the solution is to make no small plans, to quote the famous urban planner Daniel Burnham. So, when scoping projects, leave room for ambiguity in exploration. You know, sure, document your assumptions what you believe, what you need to believe for this to be valuable. And then leave room, not only to validate your assumptions, to to explore unexpected user behaviors and insights. At IA, we schedule planned project reframes. There's times for the team to say, we used to think this, but now, based on the research we've done, the work we've done, the insights we have, we now think this. And we do this multiple times throughout the innovation process. It's a discipline that's a good way to make sure that you're continually solving the right problem. So those are some of the biggest stumbling blocks to avoid and overcome when adopting design thinking.
0: I love a lot of what you're talking about about being aware of how the market and user needs are changing, designing your next disruption, being bold in your goals and and constantly making sure that you're you're solving the right problem. I think all of that is so critical to both our process and knowledge audience. And, And as you've been talking, I've been wondering, especially as you think about core versus transformational innovation and maybe traditional product and service innovation versus creating process innovation and this this culture of innovation within the business. What are some of the more surprising ways that you've seen organizations apply design thinking or that you recommend organizations apply design thinking that they may not have thought of right off the bat?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think the the limits of design thinking to impact, you know, corporations, individual society is is, is almost non-existent. I believe it's 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 a process that can complement agile thinking, systems thinking to, uh, you know, business thinking to solve nearly any problem. Um, you know, so beyond new products, services and businesses, I mean, we use design thinking in a lot of ways. I mean, you know, fundamentally to anticipate future demand, you know, which is a really a goal that every organization has. So I'll give you an example. So over a year ago, just at the beginning of the pandemic, one of our financial clients asked us to anticipate the massive and lasting impacts of COVID. Um, We were early into the pandemic, so it was a a question on everybody's mind. So leveraging design thinking, human-centered research, systems thinking, we identified a number of what we termed accelerated futures, things that would have eventually occurred if it wasn't for the pandemic, but would be dramatically accelerated as a result of COVID. So for example, we identified things like the age of contactless commerce, the rise of resiliency over efficiency, which is a flip of how things were happening pre-pandemic. The expectation of businesses to address inequities, the meet your customers anywhere movement. So all these things, these trends were happening in relevant pre-pandemic, but we knew Based on our human-centered approach to research and strategy, they would be rapidly and permanently accelerated as a result of it. Uh, we also used design thinking to restructure organizations. again, using human-centered and system thinking, we used it to reorganize one of India's oldest and largest conglomerates, 500 business units across 40 countries. We helped them reorganize around six distinct strategic pillars of higher purpose. And this reorganization unlocked opportunities for synergy, cross pollination and innovation that previously didn't exist. And we also use design thinking to evolve an organization's mission. So for example, helping one of the world's largest hospitality companies shift from a mindset of selling rooms to one of enabling guests to be part of a local community. Or helping a pharmaceutical company globally shift from not only thinking about creating the future molecule, but to delivering holistic patient experiences. And I'd say, and finally, I'd say we leverage design thinking to help organizations' most senior leaders answer their four most fundamental questions of growth some from vague, broad directional growth to imminent decisions like capital allocation. So along that spectrum, we help leaders answer four questions, starting with directionally where to play. So we start by again, observing users, researching their emerging needs and synthesizing insights to define and size potential white space opportunities, sometimes that are like indicators of what's happening three to five years out. And then we move to strategically, second question, how to win. You know, defining new differentiated experiences to win in these white spaces that we've defined and what the implications are for new business models that need to be developed. Then as an organization, we answer the question, what do we build? So we defined a space, we've identified a strategy, and what are we gonna build? So we blueprint the front end, the back end, the operational needs that are required to, to, to deliver on those ideal customer experiences that we've identified. And this blueprint informs the decisions to either build new capabilities as an organization ourselves, to acquire another company or another company's capabilities or to partner with another organization. And then finally, and more specifically, the last question of when do we fund? This is the capital allocation decision. So through design thinking methodologies, we prototype, test, and iterate not just a product or a service, but we stand up entire businesses to create something as real as possible externally and even operationally with users to test it before investing deeply into operational and development issues before locking into long-term commitments or investments. And this level of prototyping at the business side enables much more informed capital allocation decisions. So these are some ways we apply design thinking that organizations may not be thinking of but are incredibly powerful.
0: I really like that in all of these surprising applications, you're talking about the big picture, strategy, vision, structure of the organization, but also some of these really tactical decisions, like where do you start funding a particular new business line or, or new service line? Because I think all of that is critical to organizations getting their arms around the current moment and, and navigating the now, as well as preparing for the the near term future and, and whatever's on the horizon.
1: No, thanks, Lauren. Yeah, I, you know,
0: thank you so much for sharing your thoughts, Dan, and thank you to everyone listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to APQC podcasts, visit apqc.org to learn more. And of course, if you can join us for APQC's 2021 Process and Knowledge Management Conference this October.